Thank you for joining us today on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our series, Rhythms of Grace. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen. Well, good morning, Hope Church family. As you take your seats, go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Been reminding you, want to always have our eyes on the Word of God. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11 in just a moment. We want to have the Bible open there on your lap or in your app. Matthew 11. I'm really excited about today. Really, really excited about what God is going to do. And I want to start by asking you a simple question that you need to answer introspectively. Nobody can answer this question for you. There's no need to front. There's no need to give any false pretense. Only you know the answer to this question. It's a very simple question. What is one word that you would use to describe your relationship with God right now? Again, the so this isn't going to be a pop quiz. I'm not going to share your answers with anybody else later. No, no need for fronting. What is one word that you would use to describe your relationship with God right now? Maybe you're here today and you would say, my relationship with God is, is thriving. Well, praise God for that. Maybe that's your word. It's thriving. It's growing. I'm excited about it. Praise God. Uh, maybe you're on the other end and you're saying, my relationship with God is not thriving. Uh, my relationship with God is barely surviving. <laughs> Hanging on. Maybe it's tiring. Chance for us to be honest today about our relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you're just checking some things out. You've been invited to church by your friend or coworker, and you would say, my relationship with God doesn't exist. It's non-existent. Glad you're here. Maybe you would say, my relationship with God is extraordinary. Maybe your relationship with God is, is, is stagnant. If you're honest, you would say it's unsatisfying. Jesus, when he was here on this earth, he was talking to some of his disciples and he actually gave us a characteristic of what he desires our relationship with him to be. It's actually in John 10. We're gonna get to Matthew and 11 in a minute, but look at what Jesus says to his disciples and to us. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This word abundantly is a packed word. It means remarkable, extraordinary, overflowing life. I wonder if there would be anybody, don't raise your hand, that characterized their relationship with Jesus with those words. Remarkable, extraordinary, overflowing life. Shared before, but coming up this summer, I've been following Jesus for 20 years. And just a pastoral confession moment for a few minutes. Maybe you can relate, but there have been times in my relationship with God that did not feel remarkable, extraordinary, and overflowing. In fact, if I was just going to be honest today, there's been times where my relationship with God just kind of felt meh. M-E-H. Anybody ever felt meh in their relationship with God? It's okay. I'm out here just with a face mic on and standing in front of all these people. Just like, what's going on here? <laughs> Did not feel like Jesus said it should feel. There's been times where my faith or my relationship with God felt like it was stuck. It was not thriving. It was not growing. In fact, the idea of a growing relationship with God was 
was tiring to me. How do I grow in this? It's not growing. Maybe you're here today and you feel that way. You're saying, yeah, I get it, man. I, I'd love to be a little more legit spiritually. I'd love to be further along in my faith, but like my life is crazy and I can't think of anything I can do right now to grow in my faith because I got plates spinning everywhere and I'm just trying to make sure nothing crashes down around me. Can anybody relate with that? Like, man, the, the, the project at work has taken all my time and energy. The kids, let's just be real, are driving me crazy. I'm on my last nerve with these children. There's so much going on around me. The bills are piling up. The, 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 the dishes are in the sink, and it's always full. It never seems to not be full. Am I the only one that feels this way sometimes? My life feels about as good as the Golden Knights looked like yesterday. <laughs> Jesus was talking to some of his disciples at one point. They didn't necessarily have all the 21st century problems we do, but they were burdened. The demands of life felt heavy. Hopefully you have it open there in Matthew 11. Look at what Jesus says to them. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites all who are feeling the demands of life, all who labored have this heavy weight on them to take on his yoke. Now, what's all that about? We don't live in an agrarian society. We may not know what a yoke is. I wanna put a couple pictures on the screen of what a yoke is. Some of you have seen this. A yoke is something that goes on top of animals or really animals, as you see under here, they go in this yoke to, to steer the animals and for the animals to carry the burden of work. Okay, that's what a yoke is, but what is Jesus saying here? We know if you read the New Testament, Jesus is not a farmer. Jesus is a teacher. So what is this yoke he's referring to? Well, you need to know in the first century, a yoke was also a common expression for a rabbi's way of reading the scripture. Or maybe even more than that, a rabbi's teaching on how to live well. You could say it this way, a rabbi's yoke was his way of shouldering the weight of life. So this is the image that these people, these listeners would have had, these, these oxen carrying the load. And Jesus is inviting them now and us to get into his yoke to carry the weight of life. And Jesus tells them and us, my yoke is easy. Pastor and theologian named Eugene Peterson paraphrased the Bible in a paraphrased version called the message. I love how he paraphrased Matthew 11, 28 and 30. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced Rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I don't know if that's how you feel your Christian life is today, but when I read those words, I start to see why Jesus called this thing and it could be remarkable and extraordinary and overflowing with life if we just take hold of it. See, the problem is if you're honest, that is not how you feel like your Christian life is. That's why I'm really, really excited about the series we're jumping into today. As a church family, I, I believe this could be a game changer if we really leaned in together and asked the Lord to do a work. We've already mentioned it, but we're starting a series today called Rhythms of Grace. Practicing the way of Jesus in everyday life. A little backstory on this series. This series, really God put this on my heart last year. And he put it on my heart really out of a few years ago, me walking through a journey with the Lord in some of the areas we are going to be discussing. I mentioned it earlier, but I, I felt stuck in my relationship with God. If I'm honest, like maybe some of you, I, I wanted to grow. Like I, I wanted to grow, but I felt like I was at a crossroads. I just didn't know how. And I would read the Bible and I would see all throughout the scripture, and we'll even see some of these passages today, there was a, a desire from God's heart that I would grow. There's the refrain of the New Testament is that the spirit of God lives in us as Jesus followers and he desires to conform us, make us more and more look like Jesus in maturing towards him, growing in Christ. But it just wasn't happening. I believe some of you are here right now. In fact, you're thinking this dude is reading my mail right now. See, there was a disconnect between what I was experiencing and this overflowing, remarkable, abundant life that Jesus promised. I'll say it to you like this way. Maybe you can relate. Something about the way I was following Jesus was not producing the level of transformation that I knew was possible. Some of you were reading that and thinking, yes, <laughs> That right there is exactly how I feel. You may not say it like that, but something about the way you are following Jesus is not producing the level of transformation that you know is possible. You're, you're looking at abundant, overflowing life and you're thinking, not me. So I began to seek the Lord, like seriously, like God, I want this. I believe you want this for me. I began to read the scriptures, pour over the scriptures, and I began to just read a ton of books. And God took me on a journey really asking this question. How do people change? Specifically, how do we grow as followers of Jesus? Along the way, I met many friends through books that we'll be introducing to you throughout this series, but one of them is now gone to be in heaven. He's kind of the one of the writers that really helped shape spiritual formation. That's a big fancy term for growth in Christ, spiritual maturity. Such an incredible gift to the kingdom that you'll hear us reference quite a bit in this series, a man named Dallas Willard. Look at what Dallas Willard said about this Matthew 11 passage. The secret of the easy yoke involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. 
So what does he mean by that? I wanna give us a, a key principle, not just for the series, but for our lives. This could be the game changer in your life. Here it is. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you and I wanna experience the life of Jesus, we must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus by the power of the Spirit that is in us as followers of Jesus. And now several years through this journey, here's what I learned. This is how you grow. This is how you start seeing the abundant life come to fruition in your daily life by arranging your life like Jesus did in such a way that he's at constant fellowship with the Father by the power of the Spirit. You and I today can actually do that in our everyday life, practicing the way of Jesus in everyday life by rhythms of grace. I'm just telling you, I've been praying for this series. My prayer for our church over the next several weeks is that you would see that this is actually possible. Some of you are thinking, not me, I got too much going on. I feel like you may be talking to other people, but not me. I'm praying that you would see the vision that this abundant life, this overflowing life that Jesus promised actually is possible. And not only is it possible, he's gonna give us through his word ways to walk it out to make it a reality in our lives. So what it looks like is over the next five weeks, we're gonna look at some practices of Jesus's life. As you read about his life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what are some ways that he arranged his life to be in constant fellowship with the Father by the power of the Spirit? And there are many more than we can cover in five weeks. And so we're gonna focus specifically on a few that are in regard to our abiding relationship with God. So that's the series, that's where we are headed. And I wanna show you where we're headed today. The big idea for today's message, the sermon in a sentence is this. It is impossible to grow spiritually apart from God's grace. But by his grace, God gives us everything we need to train for the growth he wants for us. That's a packed sentence that I hope to unpack over the next 26 minutes. It is impossible to grow spiritually apart from God's grace, but by his grace, God gives us everything we need to train for the growth he wants for us. I wanna start by talking about what I like to call bumper sticker theology. Bumper, or, or maybe coffee cup theology. You say, what on earth is that? Bumper sticker theology, coffee cup theology. It's these pithy, pithy little statements that are really marketable and they can go on coffee cups or bumper stickers and they're true statements. But if we're just honest today at the 1030 service, they're just a little cheesy. Like it's like, that's true, but that belongs on a coffee cup. That belongs on a sticker or that belongs on a poster from Hobby Lobby. You know what I'm talking about? You all know what I'm talking about. Let me give you a few examples. Here's one. Let go and let God. Amen. That's true. That's a little cheesy if we're just honest. Just let go and let God. You need that on a coffee cup as you're spending time with Jesus in the morning. Let go and let God. Amen. Here's another one. I saw it on the height of COVID. Wash your hands and say your prayers because Jesus and germs are everywhere. Amen. Amen. I love that. It's true. It's just a little cheesy. Here's another one that I haven't found a picture for, but if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard something like this. Here it is. Christianity is not a religion of do. It's a relationship of done. 
Amen. Christianity is not a religion of do, it's a relationship of done. Scott, that, that's right. Right? A little nervous around here. That's correct, right? It depends. Now you got real nervous. It depends on what you're talking about. And here right now, don't start putting your stuff away, telling your spouse, I don't know where we're going to church next week, but it ain't here, okay? <laughs> Just give me a second to explain what I mean. Lean in real close. If you are talking about your salvation, then yes and amen. By the power and authority and finished work of Jesus Christ for you on your behalf, your salvation is done. Jesus came to this earth. We were sinners cut off from a relationship with God. He loved us too much to keep us there. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, absorbing the wrath of God for your and my sin. Three days later, he rose from the dead to defeat death, hell, and the grave. And if you've repented of your sins and trust in him for salvation, that salvation is done. Done. There is nothing left to do. You can never do anything in the first place. That's why you need Jesus. It is done. Yes and amen. Don't miss this. When God saved you, he declared you righteous and holy. It's amazing doctrine of justification. It's a legal term that says of my life and your life, follower of Jesus, not guilty. Because before Christ, we were guilty. But justification says because of the finished work of Jesus, you and I are no longer guilty. Look at how Romans chapter 5 verse 1 put it. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before you were a follower of Jesus, you were God's enemy because of your sin. You are no longer God's enemy if you're a follower of Christ. And some of you need to hear this. And this is the sermon for you because you don't feel like you have peace with God. Listen, follower of Jesus, this is for you. It doesn't matter how you perform this week. It doesn't matter how good your life looks. If you have been bought and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, you are loved today and you are no longer God's enemy because Jesus has made peace between you and God. This is really, really significant because some of us do not feel loved. Some of us feel like there's no way God could love me in my current state. Yes, Scott, maybe God loves some future version of me. Maybe he loves some cleaned up, holy, been at church a little longer than I have version of me. Listen, today, right now, you are as loved by God as you will ever be if you are a follower of Jesus. I'll put it to you this way because some of you don't believe it and need to see it. As a follower of Jesus, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. Somebody needs to take a picture of that. And on your worst day, remember, God loves you just the same. As a follower of Jesus, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more or less, period. Full stop. There is no fine print down here. You can't find it because it's not in the word of God. You have been justified. And it's important as we start this series because there's no discipline or practice or rhythm or on the other side, sin or struggle that can happen in your life that makes Jesus and his love decrease or increase for you. He knew what he was purchasing when he purchased you on the cross. 
and he did it anyways. And some of you need to hear that because the enemy has been beating you up. The enemy's trying to say that you've somehow outsend your way out of the love of God. Listen, you didn't, you didn't get, do anything to earn the love of God. You can't do anything to unearn the love of God. It was a gift given to you for free. Receive that, child of God. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. It is done. However, my growth as a follower of Jesus, my maturity towards Christ, that is not done. And can we be honest? Praise God, because I know me and you know you. I'm thanking God that the 2023 version of Scott Worthington is not God's finished product. Thank God he's still at work in me because I can't wait to see what he does in and through me as I continue to pursue holiness by his grace. And the same goes for you. Thank God I'm not done. I shared earlier, I gave my life to Christ 20 years ago at a summer camp for students. I was going into my senior year of high school. I know theologically, I walked out of that summer camp justified and redeemed and as loved by God as I would ever be. But praise God, I'm not that punk kid anymore. Think about you when you first got saved. Praise God you're not them anymore. Why? Because God's been at work in you. Here it is. He's been working out of your life practically what's always been true of you positionally as his child. You're a loved, accepted child of God. As soon as you come into a relationship with Jesus, but in his sanctifying grace, he's constantly making us more and more like Jesus by his grace in us. It is not done. So as I look back over 20 years, I thank God for all the ways I've experienced his love in new ways. I've grown to, to defeat some sin in my life by his power. I've grown to, to grow in maturity in ways that I, I was so far for me to grow in 20 years ago. And so have you, if you're a follower of Jesus. You've seen the work he's done in your life and praise God, he is not done. And I believe our church is poised in this season to be a church full of followers of Jesus who are ready to lean in and grow, ready to lean in and, and mature as followers of Jesus to, to do what 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says. This is Peter finishing up his letter. Look what it says. This is to Christians. But grow. Hear this, Christian. Grow. Grow in what? Love of God? Grow in, grow in God loving you more? No. Grow in the grace of God and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't grow into people who are more loved by God. That was done. But we grow in grace and knowledge. And here it is. By doing that, it enables us to experience more of him and to tap into that abundant, overflowing life that he promised. And I want that for our church. I believe there's some people in the room or maybe watching online today that want that. So how do we do it? We're gonna unpack that over five weeks, but I wanna take just the next few minutes to understand a couple principles of, of spiritual formation, growth in Christ. These are really important as a foundation to understand as we jump into the series. Here's the first principle, spiritual formation. God is responsible for spiritual transformation. Very important for us to write that down, remember it. God is responsible for spiritual transformation. We already said it, but it is impossible 
to grow spiritually apart from God's grace. It's impossible. I don't know of a better verse that kind of slaps us in the face with that reality than John chapter 15, verse five. Some of you know it. Jesus is on a mountainside with his disciples, trees and agriculture all around. And he says these powerful words in John 15, verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And here's the zinger, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Some of you read that verse thousands of times. Hear that for your own life today. That's still true. No matter how long you've been following Jesus, no matter how long you've been doing the church game, apart from Christ, you and I can do nothing. We abide, we cling to, we ask him and cling to him for all that we want to see happen in our lives. And it says, as we abide, as we cling, as we remain in him, he bears fruit. Well, what is fruit? For several years here at Hope, we've had a definition of fruit that I think is so powerful. Fruit is the life of the vine being pressed out through the branches. The life of the vine being pressed out through the branches. And by the way, that's, that's actually not a, a spiritual principle only. That's true of real life fruit. I mean, think about it. What comes out of apple trees? Apples. It's not a trick question. Some of you are really nervous there. <laughs> apples. Why? Because it's an apple tree. So the life of that vine is going to press out its life through the branches, which produces apples. As we abide in Christ, what should be the fruit in our lives? Our lives should start to bear fruit that looks a lot like Jesus. And here it is, if it doesn't, maybe you should re-examine whether or not you're really rooted in Christ. Because if you are, he will bear fruit in your life. And I just praise God that today I am walking down some paths that have been laid out in this church for over 22 years on this principle right here. For 22 years from pulpits just like this, we have preached this foundational truth that apart from the grace of Jesus Christ, we cannot and will not and have zero ability to produce anything of spiritual significance out of our lives. God is responsible for spiritual transformation. Another mentor over the years in our church named Clyde Cranford said it this way. We do not produce the fruit. It is the fruit of the spirit within us. We simply bear it. Thus, we become channels for God's grace. See, we abide and God produces the fruit. But that leads to a question that maybe some of you haven't answered. How do you abide? That's great. I get it. We abide. He produces the fruit. But how do you abide? And the answer is actually more simple than you may realize. How do we abide? We do it intentionally. We have to do it intentionally. Look at what Dallas Willard says about this verse. It's true what Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. John 15, five, we just read it, but here's this line. It is also true that if we do nothing, it will be without him. Listen, church, God is responsible for spiritual transformation. But here's the second point I want to make today. You, I, me, we are responsible for spiritual 
training. God is responsible for spiritual transformation, but you and I are responsible for spiritual training. Apart from his grace, we can do nothing, but by his grace, God has given us everything we need to train for the growth that he desires. I want us to see this. Grace all over the Bible, when we experience grace, when we see grace, grace does not make us passive. Grace makes us alive. And alive things are not passive, they are active which is why I've said before, and I'll probably say a thousand more times, a statement God gave me several years ago, we will never passively find what we do not actively pursue. We will never passively find what we don't actively pursue. Some of you are feeling that in your relationship with God, desiring to be spiritually mature, desiring for overflowing abundant life, But if you're honest, you've been very passive in the process. Just make me awesome, God. (laughs) I want to be awesome. We'll never passively find what we don't actively pursue. Paul, the apostle, he wrote a letter to a young pastor named Timothy, pastoring there in the city of Ephesus. And Timothy was pastoring new believers. And there's people that are really ripe to grow in Christ. And I love what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. We'll spend the rest of our time right here. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 says this, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Here it is. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul tells Timothy, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, us to train ourselves for godliness. We'll continue to remind you that the New Testament was written in the Greek language. That Greek word for train, where we translated the English word train, is an amazing word that you'll hear as soon as you hear it, where we got some other English words. See, the Greek word for train is the Greek word gymnazo, or gymnastics, or gymnasium. Some of you are already getting the picture. It's a word that means exercise. It's a present active do word. Put yourself under discipline. Maybe Paul, because of the time he wrote this, had some Greek athletes in mind. This is an idea of training ourselves for godliness. It is not passive. It is very active. Some of you are here, maybe are athletes in your younger years, or maybe currently athletes, or maybe you know some athletes. If you ever watched anybody train for anything, they work hard. It's not by accident that they get ready for whatever they're trying to train their bodies to get ready for. It takes a ton of work. Now, right there, I know some of you just got really nervous because I've said it a couple times and you're thinking, work, work is like a cuss word in church. (laughs) Don't say works. Again, Paul and the writers of the New Testament, very clear, we do not work salvation. It is done. And that way works is a very, very destructive word. We don't work for our salvation. It's a gift. But for those of us who are redeemed, justified followers of Jesus, you got to hear this. The New Testament is very comfortable and frequently talking 
about gospel-fueled striving and toil for the glory of God and the power of the Spirit in us. Paul says in Philippians 2, some of you heard this verse, work out your own salvation. He's not saying work to get saved. He's saying you're already saved. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who's at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We could go on and on. Paul says, I worked harder than anybody, not out of his own strength, but out of the strength that God supplied. We see this all over the scriptures. Put it to you in a principle. As followers of Jesus, we do not strive for grace. We strive by grace. Those two capitalized words are very, very significant. We don't strive for grace. We strive by grace. You're saying, I don't know if I'm on board yet. Put some Bible on that gladly. My first, my, my favorite portion of all the scripture, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. For by grace, you have been saved. Hear this follower of Jesus through faith. It's not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. He's saying, listen, Christian, you did not strive for grace. You would never have been able to. We're all too broken. But God in his grace gave you a gift you and I did not deserve. Because if somebody tried to earn it, then they'd start bragging about it and break the whole thing anyways. So I'll give you a grace gift and save you, not because of you, but because I love you. We don't strive for grace. But check out the next verse. Not another cross-reference, the very next verse. For we are as workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, uh-oh, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We do not strive for grace. That is a gift. But we do strive by grace. Out of the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we walk out the good works that he prepared beforehand, before he even saved us, to mature us towards Christ-likeness. Church family, it is extremely hard, and I would dare say impossible, to grow apart from our own effort. Holy Spirit-infused effort. Dallas Willard helps us one more time with an amazing quote you may have heard. Grace is opposed to earning. It is not opposed to effort. Eff earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. So by God's grace, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some actions that we see in the life of Jesus that if we, by the power of the Spirit, begin adopting into our lives, I'm telling you, we are going to see us grow spiritually. So we're gonna do that over the next five weeks, but I wanna end today by giving us just a little glimpse of how this looks. How do we begin to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? He already told us it's by taking on the easy yoke of Jesus, the way we've said it in this series, by practicing the way of Jesus and before I end, I want you to remember the, the practices are not the goal. This isn't a list of do's and don'ts and things that you're trying to do to, to make God happy. See, the practices and the rhythms of grace are not the goal. They're the means to a greater goal, which is Christ-likeness, which is becoming more and more like Jesus. The, the practices are the means, not the goal. And throughout church history, these practices, these rhythms of grace have been known as, and you probably heard them as, spiritual disciplines. Ugh. That word is not a word I like, Scott. 
I don't like the word discipline. When I hear discipline, I hear punishment. What is this idea of spiritual disciplines? For the sake of this series and our time together today, I want to give us a new definition of discipline that I believe we can all understand and apply. Here it is. A discipline is an activity I can do by direct effort. So here it is. I can do by a direct effort that will eventually enable me to do that which currently I cannot do by direct efforts. I see the look on some of your faces. Let me try to illustrate that for you. Take example, something I cannot do right now. I cannot cook to save my life. Can't do it. Praise God for my wife, Candace. I cannot cook. So it would be a really bad idea if I wanted to be someone who, who wanted to be someone who could cook. It'd be a really bad idea to go to my two friends who are getting married this Friday, Ed and Kat. And it would be really bad to say, hey, Ed and Kat, I'm trying to learn how to cook. I want to be a person that cooks. Can I please be the main caterer for your wedding? That would be a terrible idea. Why? Because I cannot do that currently. So I would try all I, want, all I might. I would give it my best shot and my friendship with Ed and Kat would probably end because <laughs> I would ruin their wedding. So I can't do that, but let's talk about what I can do. I'll tell you what, I can make a mean pot of macaroni and cheese, craft macaroni and cheese. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'll put it up against any one of yours, okay? You're like, that's not cooking. That's not the point. <laughs> I can do that. But guess what's gonna happen is I practice the rhythm of that, as I discipline myself to make mac and cheese, I'm gonna learn some stuff about the kitchen. I'm gonna learn some stuff about how heat works and how this and that works. And guess what happens over time? I do something by direct effort that through practice and rhythms and disciplines just might let me be the type of person that could cater a wedding one day because I've done what I can't do currently and I started to see growth in my life. This is discipline. I'll give you one more example. This over here, even wondering what it is. This is a very heavy barbell. Some of you guys are looking at this and you know, because you do a lot in the gym, you're thinking that is 405 pounds. You are right. This is 405 pounds. Now I know there's some of you in the room that could deadlift this right now. You could walk up and just pick this thing up and impress us all. Most of you can't. <laughs> it doesn't matter how hard you try. If I called somebody down here, I will not do that because that is a liability nightmare. If I called one of you down here to come and deadlift this bar, you could try all day. What's gonna happen? You're gonna break your back and then you're gonna quit. <laughs> you could try as hard as you want. You cannot do, no matter how much effort you put, you cannot deadlift this bar. See, some of you are right now looking at this crazy example of how you wanna be spiritually and you're trying and trying and trying and feeling like a massive failure and you just give up the whole thing. Some of you are trying Really, really hard. I want you to see this spiritual principle. You don't get to where you want to be by trying harder. You get to where you want to be by training wiser. And what we're doing in this series is we're gonna give us some ways to train wiser. See, if you came to my house and said, I wanna be somebody who can deadlift 405 pounds, I wouldn't say, hey, give it your best shot. Nope, that's not what I would do. I would, I would not give you a 405 pound barbell I would give you a 45-pound barbell. <laughs> and I would say, hey, why don't you give this a shot? And there's probably not many people in this room that can't deadlift this bar right now. And then I'd say, hey, that's great. You're doing amazing. I would say, hey, let's put some five-pound plates on each side. Guess what? Now you're somebody who can deadlift 55 pounds. 
Then we're gonna put tens on. Now you're somebody that can deadlift 65 pounds and through a practice and a rhythm and a discipline in your life, I promise you, because I've seen it happen at my house, at my gym, you could actually become somebody through rhythms and practices that deadlifts 405 pounds. This is how we grow, Jesus followers. Not by trying really hard, but by training really wisely. Paul the Apostle talked a lot about this idea of athletics in the word. As we land this plane, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in the NLT. He says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I love that sentence. I want that to be said of my life by God's grace. I run with purpose in every step. I'm not shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might be disqualified. If somebody came to you and said, I want to be an athlete, here's what I don't think you'd tell them. Oh, you want to be an athlete? Go run a mile under five minutes. That's crazy. I can't do that. You're right. Somebody's an aspiring musician. You wouldn't say, oh, you want to be a musician? Why don't you go master Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, all the parts. Just go master that if you want to be a musician. No. What would you tell that aspiring athlete or musician? You would say, hey, you need to adopt a certain kind of lifestyle if you really want to get good at this. You need to get some people around you that are going to help you. And yes, you need to look at your schedule and your time and your, your diet and all the activities of your life that will help you become a person who is an athlete or a musician. That's how you become the person that right now you currently aren't, but you'd like to be. Not by trying and checking off lists and trying to impress God and doing things that you have no business doing right now. It might start like you opening up the Bible app tomorrow and doing one verse. God, I want to be a person that reads the word of God. And here I am reading one verse. And oh my gosh, they got a video where somebody's going to actually explain it to me. Look how easy this is. What is that? That's 45 pound barbells. And church, we could be a people that don't try hard, but train wisely. And you could be the type of person that you desire to be training ourselves in godliness. That's what the word calls us to. Jerry Bridges, a pastor and author, talking about this First Timothy verse, he said this, you and I are responsible to train ourselves. We are dependent on God for his divine enablement. Yes and amen, but we are responsible. We are not passive in this process. Our part is to abide and practice. His part is to bear fruit. We do things right now that we can by direct effort that will eventually lead to us becoming the kind of people we want to be. And here's what's great about spiritual discipline is it's not just physical like making macaroni and cheese and deadlifting a barbell. See, there's a spirit of God in you, follower of Jesus, that is at work right now desiring you to grow towards Christ's likeness. It's just a matter of yielding towards you already know this, but who you are today has been shaped by what you focused on and practiced yesterday and the day before and the week before and the year before. It became who you are today. And you, know, you already know this, but I just want to say it. Who you will be tomorrow is going to be shaped 
by what you focused on and practice today. If you're somebody that says, I wanna be spiritually mature, flowing, this overflowing, abundant life that Jesus promised, you have to look at what you're doing today and is it setting you up to become that kind of person? Klein Snodgrass, an author and theologian, he said this, people often complain that they are not who they should be, but they take no action to change. What we're gonna do in this series is we are going to, by God's grace, give us some ways that we see in Jesus's life that are gonna help us change. By the grace of God, for the glory of God, we're gonna become people that he desires for us to be. I cannot wait to see the fruit that he bears. So Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you that today we right now as followers of Jesus are as loved as we will ever be. But at the same time, Lord, I thank you that you are not done with us. You are not done with who you are making each one of us as your people. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Matthew 11 is true for your life today. I hope you hear Jesus's words over you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're sick of carrying all the things you carry, I hope you hear Jesus say to you today, come to me. I know you're weary and heavy laden. Come to me and I'll give rest to your soul. I'm gonna have pastors up here like we always do. Maybe you wanna come down here and tell somebody you'd like, you'd like to talk to somebody up following Jesus. We'd love to talk to you. For the rest of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, I wanna challenge you to be here the next five weeks. I know we got stuff going on. What if we're to be a church leaning into this together saying, God, grow us, change us, mature us. It's what he desires for us and we wanna come alongside that and desire that for ourselves as well. So Lord, as we stand and sing, as we respond, however you're leading, Holy Spirit, we say yes. However you're leading, we wanna be obedient. Teach us now as we worship and respond.